Outcast, a person who has been rejected by society or a social group. Have you ever felt ostracized for having a different opinion of the Bible? Maybe you felt like an outcast or you didn't belong in church. This week, we're talking about the dreaded and often ignored question, why are people leaving the church? There's more than one way to start a fire. People all over the world have rebelled against this systematic way that we've currently done faith. We're tired of the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the shallow lack of transparency and exclusiveness that so many times church brings. There's so many people who feel like outcasts, but they're just people looking for another way to pursue Christ. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave, we are bold, we are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 58. So guys, we have been posting on social media a little bit, hinting at a new project that we have coming up. And it is a video project called Project Outcast. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of the inspiration behind this here in just a bit. But the tagline for this video, and the reason we're bringing uh, up this video right this second at the very beginning is that's what we're actually talking about today is the meaning behind this video. And we're going to go into kind of in-depth about what this video is supposed to be a representation of. But the short and simple story is this is a visual representation of our passion here at The Reckless Pursuit and what we do this for. And the tagline we're using is there's more than one way to start a fire. And so we are talking about how you have this group of people, organized religion, church, and you have this other group of outcast, ragtag bunch who feels like they don't fit in or maybe they've come from that area and that's just not home. And as much as they try to experience God, they just cannot experience him the way that that uh, the organized church claims they should be able to. So before we get into that, just a couple of quick things. Number one, if you want to keep the conversation going, we have a community group just for you. Uh, we are firm believers in community, maybe not the way that community has been done, but we want to give people a safe place to ask these unsafe questions regarding faith. So if you go to the show notes below, there is a link to the Reckless Community. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search the Reckless Community and ask to be a part. We would love to have you and love to hear your thoughts and opinions on some of these hard-hitting topics. And also, if you enjoy this show and you get something out of it, we ask that you pass it along to a friend or two. That's the best way to keep this conversation going and to get as many people involved as we can so we can build up and further help each other down this reckless pursuit we call faith. And with that, let's get right into today's episode on how there's more than one way to start a fire. 
I want to take you on a little mental journey here. Maybe close your eyes if you're driving. Don't don't close your eyes. That would be really bad. Uh, but maybe whatever you're doing, just take a minute, kind of pull into your mind for a second. Pull into your headspace or whatever you want to call it. And let's just uh, let's just picture something. You are a traveler. You have been down uh, so many roads, and you're carrying this candle. This candle's burning, and it's your source of of heat, of fire, of uh, life giving warmth. But it's about to go out. In in the distance, you see this huge light, and you hear voices off in this valley. And you think to yourself, "Man, I need." that i've been alone i've been traveling i'm weary i need a place to rest and so you begin to rush forward to this flame this light in the distance and when you get there you find people and food and and life and this huge bonfire burning bright the whole area is full of warmth and life and shelter from the cold and you go and you you look to become a part and they look at you and they shun you because you look different you act different. You sound different. You behave a little different. And so you're really only left with just a couple of options. You either conform or you're back on your own. And these people, they're supposed to be welcoming. They seem jolly. They seem happy. They have this light burning. It's not that they don't have it. It's just they're unwilling to share it with you. They're not even willing to give you something to take with you on your journey ahead. You're just cast right back out in the cold, right back where you were. We'll insert another group of people. These people are carrying torches. They have extra candles in their bag. They're well equipped for the journey ahead, but they realize that the true journey isn't in finding somewhere to hoard the fire for themselves, but to keep moving, to take that and to reach as many other people who are lost and cold and hungry and alone. These are the people that are going and doing, doing the things that the, the one group of people that are hoarding the flame for themselves would just cringe at the idea of. Sure, they send out little missions. They have little things where they can go out and and try to do good, but it's just, it's all about building a bigger community on this fire instead of going out and meeting people where they're at and walking the path together. That visual representation is, is basically the premise of the video that we are in the process of, of producing, of the short film we're producing. And and the tagline, there's more than one way to start a fire. That fire, of course, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you can gather this, but you have this one group of people, this campy group, which is the way we do church so traditionally in America. And then you have, or really in all of like the modernized world, uh, you think of like mega churches and, and things like that. And then you have this other group of people, and most of you probably listening to this show feel like you're part of that group where you try to go to these churches, but you just don't fit in. They never really accept you, and a lot of times you're just kind of cast out, and you're left to just go your own way, and we want you to realize you're not alone. This is a trend happening everywhere because organized religion, as it looks right now, is is really suffering, and 
that's not always a bad thing because once again, there's more than one way to start a fire. So let's just be honest. People are leaving the church. The church is dwindling all the time. And I know that it's a scary topic to talk about to a lot of Christians, but to so many of us on the other side of things who feel like the outcasts, we kind of sit back and say, how do you not get it? So let's just take a minute here and talk about why do people leave the church? There are actually a lot of reasons, and we're going to talk about some of those few key points. One of them is people don't feel respected at church. Another is they don't feel accepted at church. Some people don't feel they're actually being discipled at church. Some people don't feel like church is relevant, and most people who leave the church don't feel like church is ultimately a place of rest that it claims to be. So let's just start there at number one. People don't feel respected. And Elaine, you have some stuff wrote down here, so just walk through that real quick. One of the biggest reasons is fear-mongering. A lot of times people will post just random scripture out of the Bible and make like little quote cards on Facebook and basically say like, do you know where you're going to end up when you die? Or even on billboards that we've seen driving on the highway on, on the interstate of do you know where you're going and making it about having the emphasis on hell and like scaring people into going to church. And so people feel disrespected because for a religion that's supposed to be teaching love, we sure, a lot of us sure use the emphasis on hate and fear. Well, yeah, and there's something interesting going around Facebook lately. It's just kind of been floating around, and I can't say exactly what it says. I've seen it shared by numerous people, and I understand the heart behind it, but it goes something like the Bible is infallible, and it is not going to change to appease this current generation. And that's it's a butchering of it. It's just a little quote card flying around. And it's basically saying, like, people are trying to change the Bible to appeal to this generation and while I understand what they're saying, it comes across very harsh, for one. It's very much like, get over yourself, blah, blah, blah. And of course, my you know, response to that be, well, do you actually know how to read the Bible? I mean, if you break it down, there are books in the Bible that um, honestly, you know, and this is kind of widely accepted in like biblical scholar areas, there are six to seven books that are claimed to be written by Paul that are not written by Paul at all. And they take his words and his context, but they are not even in the same timeline, same area as the the Paul Pauline epistles. And like it's it's kind of interesting when you think of that, of like, hey, there's books in the Bible that are literally counterfeit. They got added in because of the message they preached or because of the way um, the Council of Nicaea did things. And so it just kind of goes into the whole thing of like there's so many different contextual clues and ways we can read the Word of God. And if you look at Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition, uh, where our Bible came from, they read many of these things. If you look at the way they write things, they're not literal writers. They write things uh, to have allegory. They write things to be representations and to give light to other instances. And so a lot of the way we read the Bible is probably wrong. I'm not saying everything is wrong. I'm not saying to throw everything out. But what I'm saying is there's definitely like some key things there where we're doing it wrong. And we love to shove these 
these key points at people instead of respecting maybe their opinion. Because the truth is, there's there's three things: it's love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, and or really those two things, and everything else falls into place. If you can do both of those, you can sum up the entire teaching. If you love Christ, if you you know believe on Christ, if you love others then the rest of the Bible should fall into place naturally. But we don't push a lot of emphasis on that. And there's also another quote card that I've seen that I feel like, I think we've mentioned this a couple of times before, but where it's like, you may think that I'm harsh or I'm too strict, but if you knew what the Bible had to offer, you would understand why we come, why Christians come across as callous. And like there's no respect in that there's no love in that because yeah if you really understood Christ's love if you really understood the bible you wouldn't have to use fear-mongering or hate crimes or like people would completely understand the love aspect of Christ but whenever you say like sorry not sorry like that's not really respecting other people mhm yeah number 2 on the list you had mentioned and we'll just go ahead and head to that is they don't feel accepted uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the statistic, Elaine. You wrote it down. I read it, too, in our studies beforehand here. But, Barna, everybody's favorite Christian statistic uh, corporation or nonprofit. I don't know what they are, but you know who Barna is. If you've spent any time in church, you know about Barna. They've been using their statistics to fearmonger people since way back when. Uh, but they do have some good statistics and some good health of the church reports. And 70% of non-church-going millennials say Christianity is insensitive to others. Uh, It's not a welcoming religion. They feel like it's a religion that's exclusive to those who behave and act their certain way. And keep in mind, we're probably not telling you anything you're not already feeling. We just want to give validity to people who are like, man, I really just don't feel like I belong here. We're trying to, to validate you and make you realize like you're not alone. But... We put up these signs, and I know Elaine and I have talked about this numerous times. These, you're welcome, welcome home signs. This is your home, you know. Uh, come to, you know, hang out with us, be with us. You're welcome here. And they don't actually really mean you're welcome. You may be welcome to conform to that, that group of people, but without that conformatism that you're kind of, an outcast in the group and you won't actually fit in a lot of times whenever we have these signs up that say you're welcome here it's not actually about giving up your sins or your the things you struggle with up to christ but it's more about people pleasing so yeah you're welcome to their church but you're welcome to conform to their standards and i almost feel as if you don't conform to those standards you're an outcast and you are not welcome at the church. And that's why people don't feel accepted at church because there's, I wouldn't even say like a false representation of welcoming, but it's a, the kind of welcoming of, well, you have to think like us, act like us, dress like us, or you're not welcomed. There's not really an acceptance of people for who they are. And I know there are tons of great churches out there who are actually welcoming, who do love their congregation, who do love the, quote, outsiders. But generally speaking, the church as a whole isn't sharing the same welcome message that we think we are. Yeah, and something else along those lines, this reminds me of something that happened recently. There's a church we've been attending, you know, kind of 
kind of regularly and I'm not trying to dog on them by any means. Like there's a lot of things that they've said that I really have got something of and, and that, you know, it hasn't been a overall negative experience. So I'm not one to give off that light, but we were there and the youth pastor was actually teaching. And one of the things he said was, you know, we've got to start teaching people that everything outside of these walls is sinful and bad and not to be pursued. And it really kind of hit me. I'm like, man, that's that's a big statement to say. I mean, there's other churches outside of your walls. And okay, so if you want to speak on a less literal level, there are a lot of good people outside of those walls that are too afraid of the persecution they're going to get for walking into this church, you know? There are people who are meeting in homes and meeting online and having church in so many different ways. And even to the point of like these people like live stream their podcast out. Like that's just a very uh, a very bold and very brash statement to say. And like I understand ultimately boiled down, he's trying to make the point of like, you know, outside of Christ. I understand that. But the way it came off was very, very, like, assaultive. And, of course, like, if you're told that kind of message all the time, why would you want to be a part of that group? I mean, God created all of this stuff around us. The world literally echoes his His marvel and wonder. Everything is, is there for his glory. And to say all of it is bad is just a really callous statement and— you know, even outside of Christianity, there are good things outside of just Christianity. Sure, they're not Christ. I'm not saying that it's it's uh, perfect or flawless, but it doesn't mean it's bad. People who are not Christians are not the enemy. Like, to look at it's an us versus them mentality is super uh, unaccepting. And the way a lot of culture is now and a lot of millennials, Gen Xers, and even a lot of the later— uh, baby boomers kind of view that as like, man, like we're trying to come together for the greater good, but that's just causing more division. Another big reason why people leave is that they don't feel discipled. And this may sound like counterintuitive, but a lot of people, especially the millennials and younger generation, feel like they are told what to do. They are told how to act, how to speak, how to dress, but they don't want to be told what to do. They want to be guided on how to do things, how to go about life, how to get through traumatic experiences, how to handle certain situations. People want assurance and people want help with picking a direction to go, but they don't want to feel forced to conform. And a big misconception of people who leave church, especially the younger generation, is that they want an easy faith, but that's not it at all. They actually want to dig deeper. And a lot of times church as a whole can be offended by questions and not having all the answers because they don't have all the answers and they like to throw scripture and say, well, just read this. But if you don't even understand the scripture, you don't know how to read the Bible, how are you going to take that as the answer for your problem or whatever? But Jesus isn't scared or offended of our questions, but so many people are, and a lot of people are leaving because 
if other people are afraid of their questions, why wouldn't they feel afraid of their questions? Well, and I think there's a lot of things there within all that. For one, it reminds me of our conversation with Paul just a couple episodes ago where he said it's uh, it's bold and it's it's needed to adventure and to stray and to look and to seek. Just don't do it alone. And the problem with churches is it's very um, top-down, very this is how you have to be very super like hyper-structured. And churches are kind of um, kind of wishy-washy or maybe like counterintuitive on a couple of things. You talk about you were talking about how uh, things are very black and white with church. And I was saying earlier how the Bible can be interpreted a lot of ways. Churches will tell you, you'll be told in church like, oh, scripture can have a specific meaning to you on a specific day. But then whenever you try to explain how you're feeling or what have you, scriptures use black and white almost as a weapon. It's like, no, the Bible says this, 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 and this. And those very same scriptures can be told to you another day. It's like, oh, that's open for interpretation and how the spirit reveals it to you in that moment. And that goes back to the whole thing of like, how is the Bible intended to be read? And the whole thing about getting offended by questions, you know, the biggest thing to me personally, and we've talked about this a little bit before, and you've heard this before, but like people don't care about a production. People care about authenticity. And, you know, I don't care about all, if anytime I go to a church with production, I spend the whole service sitting there and analyzing their production. I don't care about any of it. It's just distracting to me. But people want authenticity, and they want a pastor. They want they want uh, someone who is the is supposedly a leader to be able to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, and I'm I want to hear your heart on it too because I want to understand other people's interpretations of the scripture as well. There's a reason we have theology, and there's thousands upon th- or millions of people that study the Bible. And there's so many ways that we can still interpret these things. And there's so many ways that we can all come to different realizations because there's so much there outside of just the black and white areas. And that's okay. It's good to realize like, hey, there's more to this than what we're seeing. And it's okay to have different points of view on a topic. It's okay to have new revelations of a topic as long as we all agree on the two main principles of love God and love your neighbor and everything else falls in line, but we don't need to use uh, the Bible as a weapon. What we need is people to come alongside of us, us come alongside them and let's do this journey together. The next thing is people don't feel church is relevant. Uh, A couple things with this right off the bat. Relevancy of church is not the newest worship songs. It is not your fancy lights. It is not... Uh, it's not having an awesome door greeting team or it's not having a system in place. That's not what relevancy is. Uh, there just isn't a strong connection between church and real life. And that's what relevancy is, is that connection to real life. We go and we talk about church, we talk about God and all this, but the problem, and this is a, a Barna a research topic of why a lot of people leave in church. This isn't us just making this up off the top of our head. This is from, uh, what was it, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, like four, over four years of research added together to get some of these things. And mind you, this was a little while back too. This was uh, mid-2010s. This wasn't even like all the way up here to close to 2020 now, 2019 that we're in. Uh, 
and so it's like it's just gotten progressively worse. But there's just there's no relevancy of how to apply this to my life. How do I go through my day to day with this specific teaching? There is just this this almost like people are living in their own little world. And people don't feel like church is practical. They don't feel like scripture is practical, especially the Old Testament when you have all of the lineage and everything. And people don't understand the practicality of casting your sins to God or casting your troubles to God and praying because they haven't seen the authentic realness of what that relationship with Christ is because there is that strong connection, because it's all flashy lights and how can we have the most popular worship songs. And to them, it's very boring. Like whenever your focus is on how can we have the biggest presentation and the best deliverance of the message, people get burnt out on that. Yeah, I want to flip the table on that the other direction too is like you may uh, – there may be people out there who's like, well, we don't have any of that stuff. We're traditional and we do things by the by the way it was done. Okay, so that's just as bad. And like we're not trying to leave you without a bridge. We'll explain what we're talking about here. Give me just a second. But to also say like to be that person who's like I'm at the altar. I pray. I, I lay things before Christ. We give good solid teaching. But then to be like – hyper hateful and hyper ex, you know uh, exclusive and to kind of like push people away and be that kind of thing they work they play off both both extremes are bad to be super watered down or to be hyper religious are both extremely negative and you have to find that happy medium which is loving Christ and so Barna actually had released something they said and I don't know if they even understand what this means to be really honest but they said that they uh the reason people feel the church is not relevant is because it's boring. And I just want to take a second to talk about what that means and what they think it means versus reality. I think what a lot of people uh, take that to say is we have to make it more fun and engaging with activities and outreaches and small groups and we got to get people involved and plugged in and we got to get people serving and we got to make the sermons really loud and fun and use a lot of uh, demonstrations and props and all this, and we got to have good kick and worship, and it's got to be this way. And if the drummer doesn't show up, then it's all going to fall apart. And we got to have a bass, and we got to have an electric guitar. That's what people think of when they think about like making church not boring. In reality, what we mean by we say we don't want a church to be boring is, and I have heard this used before, and I thought I understood this at one point in life, but there is the idea that. Church on Sunday morning isn't for long-term believers. And I understand that as you learn more, you have to pursue deeper things uh, in places. And I understand that on Sunday mornings, there's other people who are maybe newer to faith or maybe they, they won't understand some of these deeper topics. I know there's times and places to dive into these things. I get that. But boring means watery and shallow and lacking. It also does not mean hellfire and brimstone and hate. Hate-filled messages are the opposite of, of Christ in the minds and hearts of many people who feel like these outcasts. And honestly, boring just equates to, you know what? We're not getting any of this. I sat in a certain church here locally. It's, it's a pretty big mega church, honestly. And we sat, how long did we go there, Elaine? It was like two or three months. Two or three months, yeah. 
And I literally never took a single note. And I found myself completely zoned out during the whole thing. And they had it going. They were as systematic as systematic can get. Uh, and so if that's like your definition of church, like they had that. But I completely tuned out everything. And there was not a single message that was preached. I was like, man, I need to get notes. That really hits me. That challenges me. That's new to me. Or even like, I need to remember that. It was a complete waste of my time. And most of their functions felt more like they were trying to be like rave parties for their young adults. than it felt like they were trying to be uh, meaningful. And sure, you can have boring of like monotone preacher who's sharing everything verbatim but to me to make something not boring is to seek active engagement why do churches not have a time afterward for a q a session if big businesses do it and it works if conferences for self-help do it why does that not happen with church why does everyone feel like they have to agree with the preacher's message 100 uh if they're going to fit in with that group for me a boring message or boring sermon is where there's no meat to it, where there's, sure, there may be a feel-good message, but if you're preaching about Jesus's love, if you're preaching about how Jesus loved people and people already aren't feeling like the Bible is relevant or practical, go show them how to love like Jesus. Give them a reason. Give them something to remember and not And it doesn't have to be like, oh, look at me, I did this thing. But how are you loving the people within your church? Sure, you can do all these amazing mission trips that are needed and going across the country to meeting people's needs. But a lot of times we're not meeting the people's needs of the church. And that's not even necessarily financially because I feel like a lot of churches do that. They do provide for the families within the church financially if they're having, you know, a bad time. But there isn't a strong relationship between the pastors and the leaders and the congregation on an intimate, emotional, and mental level. Well, and I think there's a lot of lack of transparency in churches in general. There's transparency in the leadership, lack of transparency in the leadership, lack of transparency in uh, just how the churches ran or what the church believes, and they hide behind all these slogans and campy terms that they just drill into people instead of giving people the freedom to be unique and come together that way. And it's all you have to get behind our stance, get behind our slogan, get behind our our vision and our passion, and our our pursuit and all this crap to to drill in this uh, this fallen line type of behavior. And the biggest thing is just transparency and finances. And sure, there's like a lot of churches that actually do get this right. There's a lot of denominations that are very particular about this. And props to you guys for that, by all means. But specifically targeting your modern non-denom churches, there's some crap going on. And if I'm going to give my money to an organization, you better believe I want to be transparent. Throwing a name out here. If Pat Flynn, who hosts the Smart Passive Income podcast, a podcast to help young entrepreneurs in general to start up their businesses. If he can have a bar at the top of his page saying what he's made and what he spent his money on every year, why can't a church? He's a single guy. Now he's a team, but he's a guy who owns a business. And he's like, I'm going to be completely transparent on every bit of money 
that I make every month. I release, he releases quarterly statements on his income just so people can uh, understand where he's at. But these churches, I mean, there's some of these, you know, I don't, there's pastors making tons of money and getting rich off of, there's pastors abusing church credit cards and, uh, there's so much crap going on where money's being wasted, and this is money that people are thinking is helping further God, but it's not. And I'm not against pastors getting paid, but the church should be transparent with where the money goes. People need to know what was spent on missions versus what was spent on uh, pastoral salaries distributed to the church or what was given to help families or what was just used uh, for taking people out to eat or little other things that just go all over the place. Like the financial lack of oversight in a lot of modern churches is really kind of repugnant if you really want to think about it. So the last thing we're going to talk about before we switch gears here is that people don't really feel like church is a place of rest. And what we mean by that is a lot of people that go to church, as soon as they walk in the door, they're bombarded with membership cards classes they have to attend, vision statements, getting on board, getting plugged in, figuring out where to serve, and they're coming to this place to learn and to rest. Yes, it's good for churches to have activities. It's fine to have stuff to do, but it's the obligation that comes out of that, of the you come and you're expected to do, to do, to do. And churches bring in this whole atmosphere of like, hey, we want you to get plugged in. We want you to do these things and they end up getting burnout and it just hurts people and it causes people to really question their faith and they, to question Christ because Christ and the church are supposed to be uh, husband and wife, you know, uh, man and bride. And yet here we are just working them to the bone to the point of complete and utter burnout and so many people are just looking for a place to stop and to rest. They're looking for a place to come and unpack from the day-to-day -day grind. There's so much going on in life already. Why can church not be a welcoming atmosphere to come and to to unload, uh, to have that, you know, we go back to the analogy of the fire, to get some warmth and some life put back in them instead of feeling like it's just another chore. Let's be honest, church is not a building. Church is not just a location. This is all common sense stuff that's talked about, but it's true, and there's so many of us out there, maybe you listening right now, that's like, you know what? Where two or more are gathered, that's church. We're having church right now. Elaine, myself, and you listening, this is church, and this is authentic. And I want you to know that there's life outside of that. And if you're sitting every Sunday in a chair in your local church and you just don't feel safe, I want you to know that you're welcome. You're welcome here. And we're not telling you you have to leave your church. We're not telling you to abandon that. What we're saying is you're welcome here as well. And maybe there's something here that you're not getting there. And we hope we can provide that for you. Maybe you've walked away from church completely and you're tired of it and you're questioning your faith. There was a statistic by Barna, yet again, that over three quarters of people 
in church have questioned their faith. And 36%, I believe was the statistic, are still actively questioning their faith right now. Yet we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the questions. We don't talk about the whys or express our doubts or express our concerns or even just say, you know what, I just need to unload and have someone listen and not try to shove something down my throat. And I want you to know you're welcome here. You're welcome to share that here because we all have those times. And that's what we're created for is to be there for each other. Church as we currently see it is not a requirement for faith. But honestly, community is highly necessary. And community has become such a dirty word. It's become such a word that's thrown around like, get involved in our community. That's not community. To have to put up flyers and posters, that's not community. What community is is saying, you know what? If you need to talk, we're here. I want to ask you about your week. I want to hear about your struggles, your victories. We can talk about Christ, and we can talk about life, and we can talk about faith, and we can talk about work, and we can just talk and come together. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to look down on you, but we're going to welcome you. If you come to a place where you don't believe in God, we're still going to be there for you. If you come to a place where you're like, I need church in my life, I need that structure, that's great, and we're there for you too. But no matter where you are on your journey, coming or going, it's not a destination we're trying to get to, but it's really the beauty of the journey along the way. So many of us are searching for that community where there's accountability, there's vulnerability, there's honesty, you know, there's love and life. We're not always looking for someone to tell us what to do or tell us how to read the Bible, but we all want some of that guidance on how to do things and even to just be told that you're okay, you're valid. You know, your questions, you're not bad for having questions. You're not wrong for having struggles. So many of us desire that community. And I think when it comes down to it, that is probably the biggest reason why people are leaving church because there isn't that community aspect to it. Yeah, at least that not that authentic community. There's life groups and things to get it plugged into, but they feel like work. And if community feels like work, that's not community, that's obligation. It's responsibility put on you by others to really, I mean, just be another statistic of look how great we're doing and look how big this is. It's not about numbers, you know. If you want to talk business terms for a second, you know, it doesn't matter how many followers you have or how many uh, friends you have on Facebook or how many views you have. What really matters is the authentic conversation happening on the other end. And if you're not having that, then it's all just a facade. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it if you're pouring out and you're not getting something back. If it's not something you're looking forward to, why do it? And we may feel guilt because we feel like we're abandoning God. But truthfully... The only one abandoning God is the one that is pouring their heart out into something to please people instead of pleasing the creator and doing the things they know that is going to draw them closer to him. 
if a Sunday morning service is wearing you out, if church is wearing you out, you need to find God and quit forcing yourself. Fake it till you make it isn't a thing here. That's not a thing. You can't fake it to make it to God. You can't fake it to God to make it. He sees through that. He wants authenticity, and he wants us, and he wants us to be free and to be built up and to have something to pour out to others. And if it's constantly being taken, if you feel constantly drained, honestly, that's the complete opposite of how we're called to live. So our question to you this week is simply this. It's an introspective one. So just take a minute before you answer, think on it, and then give yourself a chance to be honest. Is the way you are currently experiencing Christ bringing you life or draining you? That's it. Just that simple question. Is the way you are currently trying to pursue Christ Is it bringing you life or is it draining you? And I want you to be honest and real with yourself because that single question can dictate the next path of your journey. Listener, I want you to know that we're with you on this journey. There is more than one way to start and to keep a fire. And we are here with you through your ups and downs, through the valleys and the peaks daylight and dark, rain and shine. We want to walk this path with you and we want really you to come alongside us as well because we don't want to do this alone either. And that's what authentic community is. Once again, I just want to invite you. There's a link below. It's a great place to get in contact. Elaine and I are active in there all the time and we would love to hear your heart. Also, you can send us a voicemail, drop us an email from our website, therecklesspursuit.com. But guys, if you have something on your heart and you need to talk, we are here. We are open. We want and will take the time to respond and to engage in authentic conversation because that is what we are here for. We love you guys. And as always, be brave. Be bold. We'll talk soon.